everybody. This is Tina again with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. And we have Nurse Papa back again to co-host our another episode. So, David, you're just like a regular now. You're just part of Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. You're just one of the guys. You know, Tina, I I feel very comfortable here. I'm, I think I may just move in. Um, do you have like a spare couch I can sleep on or something like that? Yeah, just a, a, a virtual spare bedroom in the Zoom area. Just Something like that. No, I'm I'm so happy to be back. This is always a, a great part of my month. So I'm always ready to uh, talk stories with you. Oh, I'm really kind of, it's nice to have someone uh, that I know is comfortable recording podcasts. And in fact, you have your own podcast now. You're an author. Uh, well, you're a nurse primarily, but then you're also an author. And now you're a fellow podcaster. You can just, I mean, tell them about your podcast. Yeah, well, so in the... In the order of things I am, I, I feel like I'm human, and then I am a father, and then I'm a husband, and then I'm a nurse, and then I'm an author, and then I'm a podcaster, and then I'm kind of like the maintenance man around my house. Um, but yeah, so my podcast is called Nurse Papa, and it's basically my take on stories of parenthood from my perspective as a pediatric oncology nurse. And it, it takes kind of a lighter side at the look of parenthood. I mean, it's you know very sad at moments, but... It really gives me opportunity to give my listeners my my take on what it's like to be a dad of two maniac kids. Well, it's it's very interesting and it has a nice balance of of humor and wit and and also just kind of some seriousness as well because obviously life as a parent and a nurse is not always fun and games, you know. There's definitely an element of seriousness that goes along with that. So awesome. You guys definitely go check out Nurse Papa. Yeah, thanks, and, Tina. I appreciate um, it. Yeah, absolutely. So we're, of course, this is Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. We've got a good nurse story and a bad nurse story. The good nurse story that we're going to tell a little bit later, I'm excited about because we're going to do it a little different format. I've done this a couple of times uh, for the good nurse story, but I, I was able to actually interview the, the good nurse that we're doing the story about, and I interviewed him last week. And so we're going to chat a little bit about it, and then I'll play the interview with him. And his name is David also. But <laughs> That's such a great name. I know. It's just, you know, it's a perfect name, really. So we'll, we'll talk about that <laughs> a little bit later. It's, it's, it's a fascinating story, and I think you guys are going to really enjoy uh, listening to that. But then the bad nurse story, which is actually another bad doctor story or a bad psychiatrist story, is just a fascinating story, and it is actually um, a story that was done already on a podcast, but not from a healthcare provider's perspective. And so mm-hmm. I've had several people email about this, like, hey, have you heard of this podcast? You should do this as one of your bad doctor stories. And so uh, ever since it came out, and I listened to it immediately when it came out, It was it's a fascinating podcast. And really, uh, you guys should listen to the, the to that podcast if you like kind of that serial type podcast it has like several episodes and it's all all the episodes kind of go together to tell the story we're kind of going to shrink this down into a synopsis more I love more when you use puns Tina really <laughs> <laughs> even if it was unintentional <laughs> even if it, especially then <laughs> <laughs> yeah I wish I'd had the forethought to use that because that's pretty good pretty darn good one so this is the story of the shrink next door this is the the bad psychiatrist and I can't you like this is one of those situations where you just can't this the truth is definitely stranger than fiction you cannot make this stuff up 
uh, every other, you know, kind of cliche I could come up with. But it's truly an unbelievable story. And it's told by uh, the neighbor of the victim in this in this case. And it's a little bit lighter story because there's not death and mayhem, you know, necessarily that happens, but it's still absolutely fascinating. And there's definitely some sad, actually a lot of sad parts to it. So this is the story of Ike Hirschkoff. And Ike Hirschkoff is a psychiatrist who, I guess the story goes back to the early 80s. Martin Markowitz, he goes by Marty. Uh, was kind of struggling in life. I mean, he was very successful. He had an Ivy League education, a law degree, ran a successful business, was extremely wealthy. But he was 38 years old and I guess having some life issues. And just because someone's wealthy doesn't mean that they're happy. And I, I think that a lot of people probably, especially people that don't have, well, crap, I don't have any money. But I mean, people who like, I think that are maybe don't have any knowledge whatsoever of any type of, of of wealth whatsoever, probably look at that and go, if you just have money, like you have no problems, you know? Yeah. There was a time in my life when I literally, I really was, you know, very destitute a long time ago. And I, I, I know I probably thought that, you know, and, and now I, I, I would probably know, knowing what I know now and who I am now, back then I probably would have looked at someone like me and been like, what problems could you possibly have? But the fact is that money doesn't fix everything, does it? No, and and Tina, I was actually planning on taking this opportunity to to see if I could borrow twenty bucks from you, but <laughs> that seems kind of inappropriate now. Um, <laughs> but um, I definitely agree. Like, more money, more problems. Like, you know, the things that are important in life are definitely not derived from money. I mean, there's a certain base amount of happiness you can derive from not struggling to get right. dinner and a roof on your over your head. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, this guy, Marty Markowitz, whose name I just cracks me up every time I say it. Do you want to just say it over and over again? It's just a great name. I want to whisper it in my wife's ear while she's sleeping. <laughs> oh my gosh. Is that weird? Like, I just had a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, he's a mess. He's like the perfect victim, you know, and as as your listeners will see, that's what he ends up being. And I kind of had a this whole thought as I was listening to this podcast that, he kind of deserves everything that got done to him because he's so he's so compliant with you know being taken advantage of. But um, you guys will hear all about it. Well, and I think he was very vulnerable, and it's unfortunate because he was seeking help, and and that's you know we're going to talk about that as the the story kind of unfolds. But that's the reason there is such a problem with this story because he was seeking help. He was having a crisis. He was having a problem. Both of his parents had passed away. They left. Him, they had built up this multi-million dollar company. It was a fabric company and he was running it, but his uncle was suing him because he had received half of the company in the will. And I guess his uncle didn't like that. Maybe he wanted- I, I can't imagine, imagine why. I guess he wanted a, a larger portion and felt like he'd, for some reason, deserved more. And so he also had experienced a major breakup. I mean, he's 38 years old and I guess maybe- if he had been involved with somebody and they were engaged, he wanted his fiance to sign a prenuptial agreement. Uh, so she was just like, well, actually, I don't think I want to get married anymore. Um, <laughs> so, you know, he was definitely in a difficult, you know, he was in a bad place. It was Tina, did did you uh, ask your husband to sign a prenup before you guys got together? Yes. I it was <laughs> like, you know, I don't want you marrying me 
just for, you know, my car and my one bedroom apartment because Yeah, I said the same thing. Like you are not going to take half my teddy bear and my <laughs> beat up Ford pickup truck. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean for some of us it's just not a problem. You know, this yeah. was just never an issue for me. I have no idea what this, you know, what this must have felt like, but I can kind of I can understand both sides of that. I can understand mm-hmm. Marty not, he has his inheritance that his parents did work their whole lives to to build this company. Which he wants to protect. Yeah, he wants to protect that. But I can also understand uh, his fiance just saying, well, you must not think that I'm 100% committed to this. They're, you don't trust me. So it would be a yeah. really, really difficult situation. Which is a, a big wake up because maybe you realize I don't trust this person and I need that prenup to get married and maybe I shouldn't get married. Yeah. So here he is in this situation and he's obviously struggling. He comes across a man that, that we've already talked about him, Dr. Ike, uh, Isaac Hirschkoff. He goes by Ike. And Ike is considered something of a celebrity psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. Over the years, and, and this story is kind of, it's a little mixed up because, and, it, and as you go through listening to the podcast, you'll, sometimes you'll be listening and you're hearing uh, the account of something that happened in the early 80s. And then sometimes it's like in the mid 90s, sometimes it's the late 90s. And then we go back to the early 80s. It's all over the place as far as the timeline goes. It's not in this nice linear timeline, I guess, which I'm sure the, the journalist is absolutely brilliant. And he did that on purpose so that it, you know, would sort of be more interesting. But he was supposedly the psychiatrist to Courtney Love and Gwyneth Paltrow. I know probably most people listening to this podcast know who Gwyneth Paltrow is. I don't know if most people know who Courtney Love is. They should. Mm-hmm. They really should. But uh, yeah, if you guys don't know who Courtney Love is, you should look up Courtney Love. But more importantly, you should look up um, who her husband was a long time ago. A long time ago. Yeah, that was really sad. Do you want to um, tell them who her husband was just so they don't have to look it up? Well, I think they should have to go look it up. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, why are, why are your listeners so homework. lazy? <laughs> <laughs> guys, get off your butt and go look it up. Google, it's so easy. I know. They've all Googled it by now. Okay, <laughs> I'll give like, you a clue. It rhymes with Lert Bobane. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so, the yeah, Courtney Love it was uh, the wife of Kurt Cobain, who was the front man for Nirvana. And back in the 90s, he took his own life. And it was just really a sad, sad story, sad situation. And she was a, actually a really successful singer herself for a rock band called Hole. And mm-hmm. Yeah, she's great. Yeah, and you guys would probably reckon at least one song of hers, but maybe maybe a couple. And definitely Nirvana, no doubt about that. You you might not, you it might not ring a bell when I say that, but if you listen to some of the songs, there's no doubt that you've heard them. But supposedly he was a psychiatrist uh, to Courtney Love, Gwyneth Paltrow, and um, he says that after his first session, and this is Marty, he felt a sense of relief because he had someone that he could unload all of his troubles to, okay? He can just like, here's all my burden, (laughs) you take it. And then he just felt so much lighter and like, wow, I have someone else who can take on all of the responsibility and decision-making or however you want to look at it. I'm going to take this off of me and put it onto you. And that was sort of Ike's style of counseling was to just kind of, 
Um, he wasn't the typical lay on the couch and tell me your problems type of counselor. He's more like, hey, I'm your pal. Tell me what's bothering you and I'll see if I can help. And then he, uh, <laughs> I, I think it depended on the person, maybe how vulnerable they were or how gullible they were, but he sometimes really took that pretty far to extremes. Yeah, um, and and Tina, I, I'm going to go out on a limb here and and assume that you're a person who knows a lot about therapy and, and maybe have even seeked it out in your lifetime because you're mm-hmm. a pretty realized, thoughtful person. And I also have spent a lot of time in therapy. And this is not what therapy is supposed to be like. Um, your, your therapist is supposed to help you realize you know, who you are and, and kind of empower you to to figure those things out and to act upon the, the discoveries you make. And that the relationship that we see in this podcast was pretty much the opposite of that. He pretty much neutered his patient mm-hmm. um, and became, you know, became in charge of everything that he should have been in charge of. Right. Rather than empowering him, giving him information or giving him tools to help him improve his life, um, help him to deal with the struggles, the the things that, issue, that were issues for him, he was just kind of taking them on himself. Uh-huh. Um, and he was, rather than empowering Marty, he was taking over power for Marty's life. So Marty remembers after telling Ike everything that was going on, all the life struggles, all the stress and anxiety he was dealing with, Ike told him not to worry about anything because he was going to fix everything for him. So Marty starts seeing Ike three times a week. That's a lot. That is a lot to be going, you know, going to see. Of course, Marty has plenty of money and maybe not a whole lot of friends. And so if you've got someone who you like, obviously, and uh, that is making you feel good, making you feel better. Um, I guess I could see him going to see him three times a week. Um, Ike, though, starts getting involved directly with Martin's life, both personal and business life. It's kind of hard like, to even imagine. And this was a long time ago, okay? This was the early 80s. It was like 1981 when this all started. But still, like, it's not like... It, it, wouldn't it be common sense that this would not be appropriate for yeah, someone to do? It's, it's pretty creepy. Ike actually called Marty Easy Mark Markowitz, and he started giving advice as to how to run the fabric business. So, one of the issues that my that uh, Marty had was with his sister. There was a little problem there. He started Marty started telling Ike about his sister, how he was getting frustrated with her. Um, I don't know if you've ever worked at a place before where there were people that worked there who were family members of the owners and they get preferential treatment and, you know, the rules don't necessarily apply to them. Uh, They seem to come and go whenever they, I've, I have, I have worked at places like this uh, before a long time ago. And I can remember just thinking, wow, that's, it's not very good for the business, but what are you going to do? They, the owner of the company, it's like the owner's niece or whatever. So that's just how, so Phyllis, Marty was frustrated with Phyllis because she is obviously his sister, but she works there at this fabric company. And he says she would come in late, talk to the other office workers. And he was just upset about it. He didn't really know what to do. And so he started complaining to Ike about it. So he had told Ike 
everything that was going on with Phyllis and complaining. I can just, I could just hear him uh, complaining about his sister. And actually that podcast is so funny because it has these little interviews with different people. It has Marty on there. It has Phyllis is on there. And there's also a, a, a guy that works at the fabric company who talks and he is the funniest. Oh my gosh, his accent is so funny, but he talks yeah, it's about like, this, it's like classic <laughs> New York accent. <laughs> Very classic New York, and he's just like, yeah, I think you're only talking about the nylons and all that. <laughs> oh, my, oh my gosh. I mean, just so like, I don't know, a little over the top, but but really kind of entertaining. But Marty's frustrated, and Ike just decides to use this as an opportunity, I think, to separate Marty from... Uh-huh. And I, it, yeah, and it was it's a very classic technique, you know, to try to get control over someone's life to try to sep- you know to separate them from anyone else in their lives so then you have control. So he starts telling Marty how to handle uh Phyllis. And basically at at one point he kind of warned her and then he just cut her salary and she got very upset about it. Um, yeah, no big deal. <laughs> I mean, that's a I mean, it's a sister and then you know, he said something to her about coming in late and saying that she wasn't working enough to earn her salary. She is still working this, the same way the daughter of the owner of the company would work, you know, where she just casually comes in when she wants to, like when she's got her kids already. And, you know, for you and I, we we can't just say, well, I had to get my children ready. I, I'm sorry, but I couldn't get to the hospital until eight o'clock because I have to get my children to school because we would be fired if we did that. But Phyllis And your patients is, will literally die. <laughs> well, and the nurse and the, on night shift would be so ticked off because yeah. they have to stay there. They can't abandon their patient. Phyllis's take on it is, you know, my children come first. So she has to take care of the kids and she gets there when she can. And then she talks to the people in the, in the office and she just sort of is, you know, she's just, she does her job when she feels like doing her job. Yeah. I mean, it seems like there's wrong things going on both sides. Like mm-hmm. Marty Marquis should actually consider his sister's situation and, you know, the well-being of his nieces and nephews. But, you know, she obviously is taking advantage of it as well. Um, right. But what happens to her is not, Right, either, you know, because Dr. Ike, who I don't know why he needs a nickname. That's weird. He should just be like Dr. whatever his name. He completely like encourages Marty to X her out of his life. For sure. He did. I mean, one day Marty um, started asking Phyllis to, to help him with a bar mitzvah he was having for his 40th birthday. And he asked her to write out the invitations, which is kind of weird because he had been arguing with her. He had cut her salary. He had pretty much been ignoring her. She turned him down because she said she didn't have time. She had her children to take care of and then her job, and she didn't have time to write out these invitations. And so he asked her one day if she liked the invitation to his bar mitzvah, (laughs) which is so passive aggressive. I cannot even like- Yeah, I literally wrote passive aggressive in my notes. (laughs) Good grief. Well, of course, she said, well, um, I didn't get an invitation. And then he told her that he couldn't invite her because no one that was in his life currently knew that he had a sister, nieces, and a nephew. I mean, that is, that's so awful. I feel like that's just cruel. Yeah, it's really messed up. 
He just deliberately wanted, it's like he wanted to bring it up because he wanted her to understand that, he, uh, you know, she didn't say anything about it. She never said, hey, are you still having your bar mitzvah? I haven't gotten an invitation. And she was robbing him of that experience of, of saying, um, I can't invite you. And so he literally brought it up just so he could have the opportunity to say, I didn't invite you, which is, wow. Yeah. I mean, cool. and, and who gets pissed off at a single mom because she doesn't want to spend 20 hours doing calligraphy for... <laughs> right. For It was his bar mitzvah, right? He did like a... Mm-hmm. It's his own bar mitzvah. And Ike was the one that actually kind of talked him into doing that, yeah, into and, having this big party. And news alert for anybody who's not Jewish. Um, I am Jewish, so I can I consider myself an authority in this matter. It is weird to have a bar mitzvah when you're 38 you don't, it's not done. Like you have it when you're 13. And this guy had another one when he was 38 just to kind of celebrate himself again. I just, right. I, I don't get it at all. I didn't really understand either. I'm not Jewish, uh, but I, it's, I still kind of, I mean, I understood, I understand what the whole thing is about. And it just didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. In fact, I had to go look it up because I just thought, wait, he, he's kind of, isn't he old? Like, do, do I not? <laughs> <laughs> Did I not understand how this works? And I went and looked it up and I was like, no, that's right. That's right. Uh, yeah. Uh, Tina, do you have any other really questions about Judaism that I can answer right now so you don't have to look it up? <laughs> nah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um, I, I, sometimes these stories are not easy to do when the people are still like all alive. Everything's, and even when the bad, quote, bad doctor or the bad nurse is not even in jail, like, um, <laughs> It's kind of hard to talk about those people. Yeah. Like uh, Mark, Marty does. Uh, Marty's obviously upset with Phyllis. He cuts everything out, like, completely cuts her off. He's just acting terrible to the point that everyone in his life currently doesn't even know that he has a sister. Which, I mean, when I really think about it, is do you think that maybe everybody in his life was Ike? <laughs> I mean, that's kind of what I was wondering. Like, yes, and also, might, yeah, Tina. I don't know if you have a brother or sister. I don't know that about you. And I'm okay with that. <laughs> well, I know, but uh, I, when I think about all of the people that are in my life that I would invite to a Your birthday party, which I mean, I would invite you to my birthday party. I just don't. Know, I don't think you would come to it since you live like about two thousand miles away from me. But I'm already standing outside your door. <laughs> like, well, darn it, <laughs> we got a few months to go. <laughs> but. but the thing is, though, I mean, Marty was really upset with her, and he he was he was cutting her out of his life to the point that he wasn't even mentioning that he had a sister to people who he had known, I guess, for a while and was close enough to that would be coming to a bar mitzvah. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, and then he, he admits this to Phyllis. It hurts her because at that point she really realized that okay, he is cutting me out of his life, and she was so hurt about it that she decided to go to where they had a safe deposit box and moved money that was left to Marty and to her into an account that she could control, got the family jewels out of that safe deposit box, and then went and got some bonds from his apartment So because she had an extra key to his apartment. Mm -hmm. And... So she she kind of went and took things that she knew would be important to him. And uh, and after all of that, she took all of this stuff, she left a note telling him what she had done. <laughs> Phyllis is just, 
I yeah, it was fully Mission Impossible so until she left a note. <laughs> I just love it. I know. But she says she did it all to get his attention. She wanted to get his attention. She wanted, she was really desperate to get her brother back. And I think she thought, okay, this is going to force him to have a conversation with me. We're going to yeah. talk this all out. But he was just, he was furious. And of course, rather than going to her to discuss everything and work everything out, he went to, to Ike and got advice from him as to how to um, handle that situation. Ike denies that he gave this advice, okay? But according to Marty, he did what he did next because Ike told him to. Mm-hmm. So he did send a letter to Phyllis's daughter and to who Phyllis. Is, who is 13 years old, right? Or she was not a mature person. Yeah, she was like 13. And I I, I can't even imagine what he would have been thinking to do that, except that, I don't know. It, it's just so messed up. It's so messed up. It's one thing to involve Phyllis, your sister, who your sibling rivalry, rivalry whatever you want to call it, they're back, the back and forth, fine. You know, you have issues. But to send a letter to her daughter, your niece, who loves you. Deeply. Mm-hmm. Just to hurt your sister. And that's the only reason that, that he could have, the only reason he would have done that, right? Would be to hurt Phyllis. It's Yeah, I think so. And honestly, when I saw that, it really inspired me to write a letter to my daughter. Mm-hmm. I saw how effective it was. So can I share you with you my letter that I wrote to my daughter? Sure. Dear Sivica, first, let me tell you that I love you so much, but I'm also quite upset that you failed to brush your teeth last night when I asked you to do so. (laughs) I'm afraid that despite my deep affection and love for you, I have no other choice but to disown you and your brother until further notice. Also, no dessert tonight. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Love, Papa. Yeah, because you're (laughs) such an awful father. You're like the father of the year. I know good and well, that's that's nothing but a joke. So David and I were talking about this um, the other night, like, uh, he doesn't know when I'm joking around about something. I know when you're kidding because you always say things so extreme that I know. <laughs> I walk that line sometimes that's in between where maybe they're thinking, well, she maybe she could be serious. <laughs> yeah, so either she's just, serious just or she's off her, off her meds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which could be both, honestly. Yes. But <laughs> so uh, the thing is, it is so incredibly messed up to involve a child into this. And I, I, it's really hard for me to understand this, but kind of knowing how, uh, what happened later on, I do, I blame Ike for all of it. Um, yeah. It's so incredibly manipulative and wow. I mean, it's, it's really hard to imagine. So after treating Marty for about three years, Dr. Hirschkoff told Marty, he needed to make some major changes in order to protect his wealth, Marty's wealth, okay? Um, he's worried about Marty because Marty is so incredibly wealthy. He felt like Marty needed to give him control over his finances because, you know, he's like, you know, you're just too much of a target. People are going to see you as an opportunity, you know, and they're going to take advantage of you. So Ike started showing up at the fabric company going by the name Isaac Stevens. So eventually a new employee 
by the name of Marshall Feldhammer would start handling any difficult business for Marty. And Marty started telling his clients that he no longer worked for the company. So I guess, you know, if a company's been in business for, a, you know, probably several decades because his father ran the business mm-hmm. before, started Family the business. business. Yeah. There are clients who are used to being treated a certain way. And they, it's just understood that you're going to give me preferential treatment. You're going to waive fees. You're going to do whatever I ask because I've, I'm a longtime client. And Marty was sort of in a situation where he kind of had to honor that. And the way he got around this was let's let someone else handle that, all of those calls. We'll let this Marshall Feldhammer hammer handle this. <laughs> Have you situations. ever heard of a name that sounded so fake? <laughs> I know. There's like Isaac Stevens is probably not very good either, but. That's like a weird um, porn name. <laughs> it's just, it doesn't, yeah, it just doesn't flow very well. I don't know. There's something about Isaac and Stevens that don't quite go together. But, um, and there's probably people listening that are going like, hey, that's my brother's name. <laughs> <laughs> but what about Sorry. Feldheimer? That's also a fake name, right? Feldheimer. Or is that not? Well, yeah. As it turns out, Marshall Feldhammer is not a real person either. That it was Ike. It was doc, It was Dr. Hirschkoff that was handling those those situations under you know this assumed Marshall Feldhammer name. But <laughs> my it, name's Marshall Feldhammer. <laughs> I know, but it was working <laughs> because the clients who were like, "Hey, I've been a long time. Been here forever." They actually were like, oh, no, 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 Marty doesn't work here anymore. He's turned the business over to Marshall Feldhammer and Isaac Stevens. So they're, so Marty's not there. And no one who has been there, I guess, his dad, the father, the owner of the company, he's passed away. So, so these clients, they don't have any other choice but to just go, oh, okay, fine. I guess <laughs> you don't have to waive the fee. We don't have that long-term relationship. Maybe there's not anywhere else for them to go. Um, for the fabric that they needed. It's actually so, genius. Um, I mean, uh, this guy is like an evil genius. I guess. So by 1986, Isaac Hirschkoff, um, under the name Isaac Stevens, was listed as the president of the company on letterhead. Um, he was on the company voicemail and he ha- even had business cards made up. So his psychiatrist and therapist is listed on his letterhead as the the president of his company, and this is part of his therapy. Mm-hmm. Sounds legit. Yeah. yeah. What kind of therapy is this? Is it like a sanctioned therapy? You think it's People just would... a alter? <laughs> I think it's under under the headlining of like alternative therapies. Alternative, kind of like aromatherapy. <laughs> right, aromatherapy, take over your business therapy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> take over your business therapy. <laughs> Uh, run you into the poorhouse therapy. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. That's so, exactly what it is. Ike says that he created these alter egos in order to help Marty, who was an easy target. He says that he could sort of be the bad cop um, in the situation. And Marty wouldn't have to, because Marty, you know, is so easygoing and so passive aggressive that Ike could handle the situations. So... Ike actually had Marty create a charitable foundation called the Arone Foundation. And Ike had a lawyer that he was very close to drop papers to set up this um, this foundation. 
And Marty contributed $165,000 to the foundation. And then Ike also contributed um, a portion, $5,000. So, yeah, so pretty equal amount between the yeah, two of them. Yeah, equal partners there. Yeah. They were both. Um, and there were three people on the board, Marty, Ike, and then Ike's wife, Rebecca. So yeah, I mean, just everything was nice and even, <laughs> well-balanced. Mm-hmm. Nothing weird at all about, you know, your psychiatrist taking over your business and then having you set up um, a foundation where then you create a board in which you and your wife are two-thirds of the board. No, nothing un- unethical about that. Yeah, no, completely above board. Straight and narrow. Mm-hmm. 100%. So, <laughs> <laughs> I, I would use the foundation to give money to um, his children's school. He would also purchase tables at charitable events where celebrities um, would be. He would have Marty take pictures of him with the celebrities. And so it just, I don't know. I mean, it just sounds like, wow, this is an opportunity for me to, I, I, this, I'm a psychiatrist, this very wealthy person. I make them so happy that they want to do anything that I tell them to do. And I, and I do, I have them do enough things in their lives, in their life that they actually feel like they're improving. Their life is improving and they're happier. And so then they believe that my advice works. And so That's, yeah, then- That pretty much sums it up. <laughs> right. So then I start telling them other things to do and, they, and they're just like, well, the other things worked. I should do this too. Like setting up a charitable foundation and then I can use that money to do whatever I want to. So that's kind of where we are at this point. Um, the The journalist who created the podcast, The Shrink Next Door, lived next door to Marty's vacation home in the Hamptons. And I, if you look this up, there are pictures of this home. It's beautiful, as you can imagine. Oh, I did imagine. not look up the pictures. Okay, I need to do that. It is, I, you know, you look up vacation home in the, in the Hamptons and there are probably any of them are going to be desirable, but it, it was just beautiful. And they bought it. He bought this before... I guess it was hip and cool to be in the Hamptons and the place to be. And mm-hmm. so the the value of this property grew exponentially over the years. And it was worth a lot. It's worth a lot of money now, as opposed to what he actually paid for it. And he said for the first year they lived there, This uh, the, the journalist who actually did the podcast, The Shrink Next Door, he said for the first year that he lived there next to Marty's vacation home, he thought the house belonged to Ike. And who and did he, was, he think that Marty was? Well, <laughs> yeah, he thought Marty was the maintenance man. Exactly. Yeah, so um, he was really shocked. He found out the, the man who who was like working around the house, he thought the maintenance man is actually the owner of the home. Yeah, it, it gets real strange real quick. Mm-hmm. Right. So Ike would have big parties at Marty's house and one party in particular that he started hosting on a regular basis would have a mixture of Ike's patients and some celebrities and other influential people. These people assumed that the home belonged to Ike. He, there were pictures all over the walls of Ike and, and other celebrities, okay? So it looked like Ike's house. Marty was had a bedroom. Like, it wasn't even the master bedroom. He was in, like, one of the uh, guest bedroom. Like, you know... That was where he lived. And Uh the rest of the house was like all Ike stuff. And so even when he first hosted this party, Marty went 
to invite this journalist to the party, and he kind of showed up formally and uh, and announced uh, and announced the party like almost like a butler would do or something. You know, like you were cordially invited. Yeah, but in, announced it in a very formal way, and and to the point that he would not think that it was him that was having the party that that it was him that it was his house that that he is somehow like you know a servant of the owner of the house just uh, <clears throat> very bizarre which turns out he was i mean essentially that's what he became to he Dr. became Reddick. a servant to his psychiatrist yeah for sure i mean he was the owner of the house because he never actually turned over own, you know ownership of anything to to ike it's but I just sort of took over by, by having all of his personal things there, even like a doormat with <laughs> his name on it. Just and and Ike just sort of gave the reason for this as you know, being like, "Well, you don't want people to know that that you own this house. It's way too nice. People will know how much money you have, and yeah, you can't have that. You're not strong enough to be able to handle that. Let me handle this for yeah. you." That's the reason that I got rid of my Hampton house because right. I don't know. It just didn't. It didn't feel right, you know? Yeah, you just didn't want people looking at you and then just thinking, okay, how can I get that away from him? Yeah. I gotta... Do you still have your Hampton house, Tina? Well, I don't like to talk about it. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> so after the journalist started talking to Marty about Ike, he could not believe that he had been his psychiatrist for over 30 years. So this, by the time he has this conversation with his, ne- his next door neighbor, who happens to be a very famous journalist, he had been in this relationship, this um, doctor-patient relationship for over 30 years. And he, um, it, this, this, this situation, I guess, continued over three decades, just like that. It just with Ike being in control and Marty being in sort of this subservient sort of role. And that's just how things were. And then his neighbor is looking, listening to the situation going, like, run that by me one more time. Like, it just, <laughs> it just didn't make any sense. So the journalist, uh, the neighbor journalist started interviewing people in Marty's life. And because... At the, by this time, Marty knew that it wasn't right. I um, he he, it's not like I mean he he was he was on to you know the fact that <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> I know it took me thirty years, but man, I 20. figured you out. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. <laughs> hey, wait a minute, watch it, guy. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ike wrote fiction and nonfiction books, and Marty would hand type all of the manuscripts. And not only that, Ike would charge him for the time that they were together when Marty was typing his manuscripts. Yeah. Because, this, yeah, that's this crazy. This guy is like such a narcissist mm-hmm. uh, because the books that Ike would write were about a crime-fighting psychotherapist mm-hmm. who would use his um, you know, mind abilities as a, as a psychotherapist to solve crimes, which... <laughs> Kind of like me writing a book about being a really amazing pediatric oncology nurse. <laughs> it's, oh, not a, it's not the same thing at all. <laughs> it's not the same thing at all. I mean, it, it would be different to me if Ike, I mean, even if Ike was writing a crime, there are actually, you know, doctors that write no, it's true, true crime uh, books, fiction books, um, or f- true crime or fiction books about um 
I don't know, just kind of based around loosely around their own uh, yeah. profession. Um, and I don't think there's anything weird about that. I think you just use what you know and you kind of combine it and use that as an outlet, creative outlet. Um, and yeah. nothing wrong with that at all. I'm fascinated by those. You know, Michael Crichton is is one. That's what um, I was going to say, Michael Crichton. There's also that lawyer who wrote... Um, John Grisham. John Grisham. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense. You're going to take what you know and what you have a passion about. And if you also right. happen to be an artist or a writer, you want to disseminate that in a creative way. Exactly. But it doesn't sound like Ike's book were that, books were that good, though. <laughs> right. Yeah, and exactly. It's I, Whether they were good or not, I mean, whatever. It It's just the the way that he kind of did all of this and then having Marty do all of his dirty work for him, typing his manuscripts. Are you kidding me? Um, this man who is so in- incredibly wealthy, but he's charging him a fee. He's charging him his fee, his psychiatric, psychiatric fee, whatever you call it. Um, and yet Marty's working for him. It's just the craziest thing. Um, but another problem is that some of the books had similar stories to that of some of his patients. And, and you know, mentioned John Grisham. Uh, I think that there is some of that that goes on with some people who who have a profession where they kind of are privy to situations and stories. But for one thing, I think they usually get permission if they if they need to from the people, you know, who the stories are about. And for another thing, they change enough of the story you can't really necessarily recognize, like people don't know who it's about. Um, uh-huh. I didn't bother to do that, either of those things. <laughs> so yeah, to me, that sounds, it's, I, I don't know. I just, when I read it, I thought it was kind of weird. So the relationship between Ike and Marty was getting more and more difficult after over 27 years, Marty had uh, had enough. He went to the hospital for surgery. It was pretty minor surgery, but at the same time for him, it was... You know, it was a big deal. Um, Ike did not come to see him. And I think that he he looked at that like, wow, here I am. I you, you have caused me to alienate everyone in my life. There is no one who would be here to help me through the situation. He had this surgery, he has to come home. He, he probably could use some help, you know, recovering. And he doesn't have anyone because his psychiatrist has sort of... Um, Isolated him, him. Yeah, he's isolated him, had, had him cut everyone out of his life to where, and then he just isn't available. And so it really hurt Marty. And, you know, he was 38 years old when he started seeing Ike. He was 68 when he pretty much just kind of broke off that relationship. And so it's just, I, I find, that, find that to be really sad. Yeah, really um, sad and pathetic and Mm-hmm. And, you know, it felt like he wasted 30 years of his life. I mean, he could have... Oh my gosh, yeah. He could have had a family. He could have, you know, mm-hmm. he could have done so many things, but he basically just let this psychopath run his life. Um, yeah. And then, you know, I was also surprised listening to the episodes that although the cases weren't as extreme as this one, Ike had done similar things to many other patients um, in which he manipulated them once again, not in the same way that he did to Marty, but you know, you only have so much time. Like you can only take over so many people's lives at once. <laughs> so he probably just didn't have the bandwidth for it, but he probably would have done it if he could have. Right. It, it does sound like he definitely did that to an extent. You know, I mentioned the parties that he would have 
at Marty's house in the Hamptons, he, some of the patients that were invited to that party, they they interviewed um, at least one of them, and and she was talking about how you almost felt like oh, if I don't get invited back, like all this pressure to act a certain way because they wanted to be in that circle. Like you were mm-hmm. special if you were invited to his house into his personal life. Isn't that sort of um, the reason why that line shouldn't be crossed between a psychiatrist or a therapist and their patient? Because the patient could develop that um, that feeling, you know, like, oh, you're, you're helping me. And they could almost develop like... F- feelings of love or just, I don't know, just kind of a, a connection to them. No, and the yeah, therapist absolutely. should understand yeah. how inappropriate it is to act on that, you know, and to, to keep the boundaries nice and clear. Yeah. When I was in college, I was seeing a therapist because, you know, I was having lots of college boy issues just growing up trying to figure out who I was. And I, I, I had this really cool therapist named Brad. I mean, we got along really well. I thought we were friends, you know. And, you know, I think that's great. That's that's a good dynamic to have with the therapist. But then I saw him out on the street and I was like, hey, Brad, what's up, man? And he was so horrified. He's like, he did not want that connection in the outside world because he was actually an ethical, normal person. <laughs> so he was so <laughs> short with he was so short with me. He kind of like he said hi and then he said he had to go. And I was like so sad because Brad wasn't my friend <laughs> in real life. Yeah, and I I could totally see that because if they're really good therapists, they probably do they're they probably do try to walk that line pretty closely because they do want you to feel like they care about what you're saying. And how often do we have someone if we're struggling with something who genuinely wants to hear what we have to say? Because a lot of times I think that we I don't I'm not going to say I I always come across to people like I want, I genuinely want to hear what they say. I try to, but we all get busy and, you know, we, we don't realize how serious uh, an issue is for someone. Maybe they're not being completely forthcoming and opening up. But then when you're paying someone to sit there for an hour, you know, and you're sitting and they're literally, that is their only thing that they are, that's what they are supposed to do for an Uh hour is to sit and listen intently and, and to offer you advice and, you know, to really be concerned you don't get that. And if you, if especially if you don't have people in your life right then that are really caring about what's going on with you, I could definitely see developing, you know, that not not necessarily like a weird sexual intimacy kind of thing, but just like a, like a friendship kind of thing. Like, oh my gosh, oh, this yeah. person I have this connection to. Yeah, I could get, I get it. I totally get it. And that's, yeah. I think that's what happened with Marty. It's exactly and, what happened with him. And it's, it's funny because I think Dr. Ike would take business phone calls during his therapy sessions with Marty <laughs> and charge him for that time. Um, so yeah, there's nothing about this guy that is ethical or humanistic. I mean, he's he's out for himself. He's out for his own ego um, and to build his own brand. And, you know, in today's lingo, I don't know if he thought about it back then, but he's definitely all about himself. It, I mean, it definitely sounds like that to me. It, uh, Marty... Once, you know, I guess 27, 30 years had passed, however many, and he sort of broke everything off with Ike, he decided to contact his sister again, you know, 30 years is such a long time. I mean, oh my gosh, the children, her children are now grown, you know, Uh with children and married, children of their own. I mean, it's like, they're not the same person that those people that they were don't even, 
they're not they don't exist anymore. So I can't even imagine it's just listening to the podcast. You guys have to just listen to it because it's it, it is fascinating. It's heartbreaking at the same time because you just think, wow, this is a brother and a sister, and he doesn't even know that you know her life kept on moving and she moved and you know out of the state and she ha- have has a career and none of that stuff. Like he missed all of all of those years. Yeah, and even that poor thirteen year old who got that amazing letter from him that he had to disown her because um, of her mother is right. like totally messed up from it. Like she, she's unable to really fully trust him ever again um, in the way that her siblings actually are able to because they weren't quite traumatized the way she was. Right. It, I I don't blame her. I I think that if it, if it were me, I would have a hard time not remembering how it felt to read those words and, and to still think like, how could you do that to a thirteen-year-old? Yeah. How I, how could anyone do that to a thirteen-year-old? What yeah. you know? What motive? I'm definitely could, not going to send that letter to my daughter. Like I definitely feel like just, don't. Just it doesn't it. feel right anymore. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> so he did contact his sister, and after meeting up, they were able to reconcile. Um, after a while, she didn't trust him at first, but then she. Uh, and and it and in the podcast you do get to hear the daughter talk about the whole situation and Phyllis was really happy to get to reconnect with her brother. Yeah, and, she seems awesome. And she really does. I mean, really. And actually, Marty does too. I feel bad for him because I do. Uh, just based on the information that came out, and it is all one side. Of course, it's all Marty's side of it that we're hearing. We're not hearing the doctor side of it, maybe a little bit thick because he does uh, at some point, he does respond back to the the journalist that did the podcast. Um, and he offers a little bit of explanation, but if you just look at the whole thing, it, it does seem like he, uh, Marty was in a situation where he's very, very vulnerable. And then someone who knew, who understood uh, the way that someone who is passive aggressive and who is vulnerable would respond to someone like that, showing him attention and and give like your therapist that you were talking about, how he put that boundary up like that. Um, I feel like that doctor kind of knew if I don't put that boundary up, I I can manipulate him any way I want to and get whatever I want. Yeah, and you know I got to put some love out there for Brad. I don't know where you are now. But um, you were a good therapist, so you really got me through some hard times, and I appreciate I appreciate you. So um, he actually contacted Marty. Contacted the New York Department of Health after this happened, and they started an investigation. So in August of 2019, after the podcast, because at first nothing was really being done, they were, would act like they were working on it, and then Marty would call to check on it, and he never could get an answer. Then the the podcast came out and it's it's done by Wondery. It's a very well produced podcast. It's just yeah, it's good sound, good everything. Fascinating to listen to, and it's just it's an excellent podcast. And so it became very popular very quickly. And all of a sudden, the New York Department of Health um, perked up and started paying attention, and they began a hearing to investigate the allegations. So because of COVID, the hearing was suspended. But it is scheduled to resume this year in uh, 2021. And we're going to take our listeners live there, right? Into the into the hearing and see 
everything that's happening, you know, moment by moment. (laughs) (laughs) It's not completely unheard of for us to do something like that, but with COVID and everything, I doubt that they... It's going to be something we can do. Uh, not that I would do it anyway. Nashville is just <laughs> Nashville is just a couple of hours for me, as opposed to wherever you know in New York. Um, New York not City. that I wouldn't love an excuse to go there, but like I said, with COVID and, and all of that that's going on, I kind of doubt that's going to happen. Okay, fair enough. But he, the, the do- Dr. Uh, Hirschkoff still has his license now. Whether or not he's practicing, uh, I don't know. Uh, I mean, you know. it's hard to imagine after the podcast came out that he's got new patients coming in. <laughs> it, it would be hard to imagine that. I do think that there are people who are defending him, who really believe in him, but uh, I, I think there are, there are always going to be people like that, you know, those situations. Yeah. But that's our bad doctor story. We so made bad. it through that whole thing. That is so crazy. How did we make it through? I don't know. I don't know. That's a comp. It was a really complicated story. the The podcast is like six episodes or something. I don't know how many episodes. It's six very episodes. long. Uh-huh. It takes a long time to listen to the whole thing, and so to com- kind of condense that down into a bad doctor story for goodness, badness that the whole thing generally is we try to keep under an hour. Um, wasn't easy just to do. For, just over an hour there. So I guess we can get into our good um, nurse story. This is a really amazing story that I'm very excited. I told you guys, we did, um, I did an interview with our good nurse. Uh, David and I had already decided to talk about this, um, this story. And I'm, I just feel like it's, um, it's just an uplifting story. It's just perfect to talk about. But uh, then after that, I reached out to him and I didn't really expect to necessarily hear from him, but then he responded back to me. And it's so funny because uh, I was like, hey, just uh, thought maybe I'd just see if you would want to come on the podcast and talk about um, the video. And then he responded back and he was like, oh, I had to ask the the marketing people at, at Duke where I work. And um, But but was, yeah. Was I'll, he a Duke I'll, nurse? I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. at Duke. Yeah, so I was like, "Oh my gosh, sure, yeah, sounds great." And then that that person um, contacted me and wanted to know, kind of like, "Okay, what's the deal? Exactly what the setup is?" And I was just like, "Hey, it's just a like like my podcast. I do in my basement. Ain't no big deal, you know." <laughs> <laughs> and they were great though. And uh, then I, I got to talk to David. So what the premise? I guess the the whole reason for doing it is um, there's this video that's kind of circulating out there. Um, and it's David, and you don't know, his name is not actually um, used, but you can kind of tell it's a, a Duke uh, University nurse. But this most adorable young lady, her name is Molly, she had developed uh, a brain tumor and had been undergoing chemotherapy and radiation. And she just happens to be a musical theater major. And she loves to sing and dance and entertain. And then this all happened. And so obviously she hasn't been able to do that. And so she was in the hospital and someone told her about David and how he sings. And so they went and got him and they're like, oh, she wants to sing a duet. You have to come and do this. It's going to uplift her, you know, um, help, (laughs) you know, uh, make her feel better. She wants to be able to sing. And he's just like mortified, you know, he, he's, he says he's, you know, not, necessarily a singer and or at least not professionally you know not some it's just not something he's at work you know but um it's kind of put him on the spot so he was like oh all right I'll go do it he's he's that kind of guy you know just kind of like well 
uh, I don't want to let someone down. So he did that. And when I watched the video, I was just, it just made me feel so good to just to see the look on her face was so sweet. And even if just for a few minutes, you can make someone feel better who's going through the garbage that she's going through. I just, I thought that was amazing. And just um, such a good sport about it. Yeah. And I have to say, Tina, this this story is very close to my heart um, because I also happen to be a pediatric oncology nurse. And um, there is so much opportunity to be a good person when you're a pediatric oncology nurse that I feel like we should be paying them. Like, it just feels so good to work with these kids and to joke around with them and to, you know, offer whatever you can to make them feel better. And I know exactly where this guy David is coming from, although he has a much better voice than I do. Um, and we both happen to be named David. But, you know, he just wanted to be in this girl's life in any way that she could and any way that he had the capacity to. And it's, you know, he's a fabulous guy. And it's it's great that stuff like this um, goes viral instead of like another Tide Challenge or something like that. Oh, exactly. <laughs> right. I would much rather see this than some of the silly, other silliness that goes on, goes on on the internet. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I guess we'll go ahead and play it. I will say that... Uh, when I did the interview, I did not realize that there was a little more going on with Molly uh, because the last thing I had seen uh, was the news report because this went this was on local news channels and just all over. Uh, it, it aired here in Knoxville and they did the story. Um, and so the last thing I had seen was that she was cancer free and and everything was going great. But then at some point after I did the interview with David, I went and looked um, at her in Instagram page to see how she was doing. And I saw where she had posted a very emotional um, video about how she went for follow-up scans and that she had more tumors and that she was going in for surgery. And she had um, she actually went into surgery just a, a few days ago. So um, as from the time that we're recording this. So it's very sad, but at the same time, um, she is a fighter and has a, a, a great attitude about it. The, the surgery went well. It seems like they got it all and she's doing well. She's doing very well. She's, her energy is amazing. She's adorable. She's got very supportive people all around her. So um, not exactly what I was hoping to see when I went to uh, look up how things were going. But like I said, she's a fighter and I think, you know, she's going to be, she's going to be fine. Yeah. And, you know, it's just the reality of, you know, pediatric cancer. You know, some of these kids, they struggle so much. And just when you think that, you know, they've eclipsed that struggle, something else comes up. Um, but that's not really their story. And I, I, you know, I struggle with this sometimes because, you know, these kids are so much more than their cancer and there's, you know, they've got so many great qualities and so many things that are driving their lives. And um, I think it's really cool that this girl is showing the world, you know, her personality and her awesomeness. That is just, you know, one other part of her. And, you know, it's, you know, perhaps much more important than the fact that she has cancer, but the idea that she is an, an individual and that, you know, there's a real relationship that happened between her and this nurse David, it's just, you know, it's really great. And it kind of breaks up a lot of the myths about what it means to have, to be a kid and have cancer. And also to be a nurse 
who takes care of those kids. So I'm I'm all for this story, you know, getting as much press as it can. Yeah, uh, same thing here. I mean, and and you know, we're saying kid. She is a kid to us, but she's uh, I think she's like 19, 19 years old. Um, she's a college student. Uh, had to put that kind of on hold for for now, but I'm sure once she kind of gets this whole thing. Um, behind her. Uh, I can't wait to see what she does. She's super talented. And I think you guys are going to really enjoy getting to see her when you go look her up, um, all the stuff that she does. She's she's quite the personality for sure. So I guess we'll go ahead and play the interview. Word traveled fast through Duke Health of this young patient who loved to sing. So nurse David Duckett stopped by for a duet. So you guys, there has been a video circulating around social media and local news stations. It's even aired here in Knoxville where I am. And so I, of course, you guys know every week we do a good nurse story and we try to feature someone who it might maybe a nurse, it might be a doctor, respiratory therapist, someone in the healthcare um, field who has done something inspiring. And sometimes it, it can be somebody who isn't even living right now but from a hundred years ago, or sometimes it could be someone who's, um, it could be something small. It, we just never know what the story is going to be about. So very rarely do I actually get to have the person that I'm talking about be on the show. So, yes. and so David Duckett with Duke University Medical Center is a nurse there and he was featured in this video. And David, thank you so much for coming on the show to talk to us today. Yes, thank you for having me. You're welcome. Anything, but I just so, want you to know that you are, the, the video, just watching that video, the look on her face is adorable. Um, the whole story is very inspiring and it's the perfect story just seeing you and your coworkers and the way that you kind of rallied around that patient. Um, it's literally why we do the Goodner story on the on this show to help inspire people. It's, the story is about uh, a young uh, teenage, I guess she's still a teenager. Um, she is a college student and she, she majors in musical theater. She's been battling brain cancer for the, like since 2019. And if the, when you watch the news story, it's just the most inspirational thing, but it's also kind of um, tear jerking as well because her voice is amazing. She is just such an entertainer. And then this happened and she's been in and out of the hospital and battling, you know, with chemotherapy and all of that stuff. So she just wanted to kind of feel normal and be able to sing. And the nurses have just sort of rallied around her. And David went by to do a duet with her. And she can see this video. Someone else is is recording it. And you can see her in the bed and David kind of leaning over her. It's very sort of impromptu, sort of casual thing. And she starts singing. And then when he comes in to sing with her, the look on her face is adorable because she looks she looks at the camera like, oh, my gosh, because his voice is is beautiful. I mean, really, it sounded just so easy. I mean, very natural. And I, are you a professional singer? I mean, my gosh, it was, it's beautiful. Your voice is gorgeous. Well, thank you. But uh, no, I am not a professional singer. Um, it's actually something I told the patient. I was just like, no, I'm, I don't consider myself a singer. 
I just, you know, do it maybe uh, on the side, um, not like at venues per se, but I, I, I've sang in my high school chorus. Uh, I was in the choir there. So, yeah, that was that was just one of those things where yeah, I wouldn't consider myself a singer like that. Well, I think it's amazing because for you not to consider yourself a singer and to not be trained because you weren't just singing along. You were kind of singing a sort of a harmony with her and it yeah. was that's not easy to do. I've done some singing myself and I, that's not easy. You, that takes talent to be able to harmonize and, and hit the notes, uh, you know, that are supposed to, like the way they're supposed to right. be. That so was, it was beautiful. Yeah, nice. So I wanted to just talk about you a little bit and um, because you're the good nurse this week. So you do work at Duke in North Carolina. And so what kind of nursing do you actually do there? I'm actually a neuro step down nurse. Uh, okay. uh, just right below the ICU, of course, but um, patients can transition as far as they can go either way rapidly. So they do have like a specific set of like skills and training that they do with us. Uh, just knowing that, you know, patients can go, reality speaking, one one way or another um, at any given point. And you just have to uh, just know how to reply, know how to respond as a nurse. Um, I know that can be very challenging, even on a, a step down floor, if you have like four or five patients and, and you have Q, even Q4 hour neuro checks, just the charting alone of the assessments. And a lot of times when I have a patient on Q1 hour neuro checks, like you just did the neuro check. And then by the time you like empty their Foley and do all the other stuff that you're supposed to do every hour and leave and go check on your other patient, you're just like, I gotta go back in that room. So the charting doesn't, yeah. a lot of times the charting doesn't happen until the end of the shift. And you're sitting there literally charting, you know, 12 neurochecks. It's insane. I can't imagine, I, it. I mean, yeah, yes. I can't imagine doing that all the time because I work on a cardio or cardiac, more cardiovascular. So the occasions that I get those, I just think, you know, salute to the neuro nurses because they're, you guys are amazing. <laughs> Well, if I could, um, believe it or not, I've talked to a couple other nurses on my floor and we, it's kind of opposite where we salute to a lot of the cardiac nurses because I don't want to touch cardiac. It just depends. So. I guess it's everyone's so different. And, I, and I've, we've talked about that before on this podcast, how nurses are, it's like we're all kind of made for us. You know, we're sort of, a, people talk about people being called to nursing or um, mm. how it's a, it takes a special person to be a nurse. I 100% believe that for sure. Um, I also right. think that there's there are spe very specific callings to types of nursings, nursing and mm -hmm. pediatric nurses, NICU nurses, labor and delivery nurses. nurses. I could I could not handle it. And I just, uh, thank and psych nurses. Thank you, psych nurses. <laughs> and I've said before on this podcast too that we are all psych nurses. We're there, you don't Correct. just, yeah, we're, we are all psych nurses. So that, and the sooner you uh, kind of accept that, <laughs> if you're going to be a nurse, you might as well just accept that that's a reality. We are all are supposed to kind of understand yes. the psych aspect of every person. And just mm -hmm. the fact of being in the hospital is going to, you're going to have issues to deal with, with people. And it's real important not to forget the, that psych aspect of nursing school. Yes. So, uh, David, how long have you been a nurse? I've had the privilege of being a nurse. Uh, I started September of 2019, so about a year and five months or so, give or take, about seven weeks. Okay. Do you enjoy being a nurse? 
I love it. See, I can tell. I knew you were gonna. I knew that was what you were gonna say because it's it's obvious. I, I I love it. I had the privilege of being a nurse assistant down in South Carolina before I uh, moved up to North Carolina to go to Duke and. I was, uh, we call them patient care techs, the hospital I'm at now, we call them nurse assistants or CNAs. Um, but in this case, I was a patient care tech and uh, I did that all through nursing school. So the day I started working was actually the day I started nursing school as well as in just the start date. But I had the privilege to just also see firsthand what I would be doing as a nurse, but also make those connections. Um, with patients, even as a nurse assistant, because it was one of those, you don't have to be a nurse to make a connection. Yes, it helps because you get to spend a little bit more time sometimes and direct, uh, you know, direct patient care. Um, but I, I really enjoy that aspect of the medical field and nursing as a whole, uh, whether you're a nurse assistant or a nurse, like you still play a significant part in and caring for people at their best and even at their worst. And that whole process from start to finish, you you get to just see the different dimensions and aspects and uh, stages of care and you get to be a part of it. And that's, I love that. I really do. Well, it's, it sounds like the things that you're saying, uh, those are the qualities of a, a good nurse. And the, the fact the people who started out as a CNA and then decided to go to nursing school to be a nurse. I feel like they're just the best nurses because they, for one thing, if you are a CNA, that you know exactly what you're getting into and you're choosing to do it anyway. Mm -hmm. So what would you tell, so we have a lot of nursing students and new grads that listen to this podcast. Mm -hmm. I hear from them all the time and they send me the most encouraging, inspiring and uplifting um, messages. I hear people, I hear them say things like, I love to hear you when you talk about nursing. It's like getting to sit in a break room and listen to, you know, uh, conversations and it gives them a peek into the world yes. that they're going to be in. They absolutely eat it up. They love it. And that's why I love opportunities like this to get to talk, chat like this with other nurses. Um, what would you say to our nursing students and new grads to just, for one thing, to help them be discouraged, uh, be, help them to not be discouraged when they start right. working and realize what it, because sometimes it is eye-opening when you start doing the job and you realize, wow, this is harder than I thought it was going to be. Oh, yes. No, I, I totally agree with that. And um, I honestly have to, revert back to something I, I was privileged to mention in the initial interview, because I, I mean it with all my heart, is you've got to know your why, because there's going to be those hard days where you're, you may not feel like doing something. Um, you may not even feel like going to work, but that's one of those things where, you know, kind of like we mentioned about um, calling. I personally, personally believe that you know, I have in some way, whether it be long-term, short-term, I don't know. I know that right now I was, you know, you know, called to be a nurse in this right, right where I'm at. And knowing your why will help you in, from my understanding, get through those difficult, challenging moments where you're overwhelmed because it's going to happen. There's going to be a point in nursing, you're going to be overwhelmed. You're going to be challenged. You're going to be push to your limit, so to speak. And those are those moments when you hit that hurdle or that 
that that wall or in this case when you have those speed bumps you know i i had um when i was in nursing school i used to meet with a gentleman um that i had just met at a coffee shop i was probably studying and he came up and just started talking to me um but either way he he said some very encouraging things to me he was like yeah i was just telling him a little bit about my nursing and how challenging nursing school was and he was just like I had had a couple upsetting, you know, turnouts from from some classes, and that's a whole nother story, maybe even for another time. But you know, just like, oh my gosh, maybe I'm not meant to be a nurse because I failed that class, or uh, maybe I'm not meant to be be a nurse. And he's like, look, listen here, young man. Mm-hmm. It's like you can have some speed bumps, and that's not just school with life. He said you can have speed bumps, but he said. Usually what I do after I go over speed bump is I speed up. He said, how about you? And I was just like, okay, because that's the reality. And it also, you know, set my mind and heart in motion of, you know what, there's no plan B. So that's where, once again, I refer to even nursing students is, hey, if this is what you're meant to do, you're going to do it and you're going to do well. But you've also got to make up your mind that this is what you you know, what you, what you're going to do, what you want to do, because I know why I'm doing it. Does that make sense? Yes. Oh, absolutely. That makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. Cause there's times when you, uh, hello, this whole past year, um, <laughs> but it's a oh, really yes, difficult and you question everything and you're just like, I, I thought I really enjoyed this job. I thought I really, uh, you know, what am I doing to myself? I'm torturing myself because you're exhausted mm-hmm emotionally, physically, and mentally, every other way, you feel underappreciated and um, overworked and all of that stuff. Yeah. And you're just like, wow, I could be doing another job that pays more, that's less taxing, mm-hmm. you know, all these people working from home. And here we are working, not only going to work when everyone else is working from home, but we're going to work and be having to work harder and, and under more stress mm-hmm. and, and, and dangerous, uh, circumstances. And so yeah. that's when you, that's when you have to, if you're, you're not going to survive, you know, you'll just quit if you don't, mm-hmm. uh, if you're not able to remember why, you know, okay. Remember why. And sometimes, um, the reminders are, you know, those moments with patients, just like what, yes. what you had with that patient. Those Singing with him just brought me so much joy. Like I'm thinking about it, I'm just smiling. But to have moments like that, it makes you feel like, yes, this is, this is my why. This is why we do what we do. Those moments are, that's the, exactly what you said. It's so perfect. That is exactly the why. And there's, there are moments that happen like that, that aren't always, captured on camera, you know, that that the patient may not even ever remember, may not even be aware that is happening. You have um, improved their status in some way. You've progressed. And so those little accomplishments that your, that your patient has, those are, those are your accomplishments. And it is so rewarding to see those things, to see what you're talking about with the why is just we have to keep that in you know kind of yes. in the back of our minds all the time and pull that out whenever we need it whenever we're feeling discouraged. So I love that you said that. That's perfect. Um, 
Is there anything you'd want to tell nursing students that you uh, and new grads that you wish you would have known before? You know, you were a CNA before, so you probably thought, I know, I kind of, I got this, I know exactly. And then you you get that all on the floor and start working, and you just think, <laughs> oh wow. So there's a whole other side that I didn't know. <laughs> anything you'd like to tell people? I wish I would have known better ways to support myself and my, you know, the people I'm surrounded with, because that's one of the challenges that I've been presented with is, you know, not knowing how to, our, you know, our job is kind of our life, so to speak. There's no off switch where you're always serving, always taking care of people uh, to where I won't lie. Sometimes the person in the mirror can get a little bit neglected. And um, I kind of wish that's something that I don't, nothing against my school. I don't recall us talking about self-care very much, but that's something that I kind of wish I would have had a better practice and habit of, you know, um, not like this wrongful splurging, but hey, you've got to develop a habit of making sure that you're taking care of yourself because if there's no, you know, you, how can you take care, how the patient's going to get taken care of if you as the caregiver aren't there. So I didn't know nursing was going to be, you know, this emotionally taxing. So how are you going to deal with that? And that's I where, totally, yeah. yeah, I get what you're saying. I mean, that is, um, they're the type of people I think that go into nursing are the type of people who will sacrifice themselves to save someone else. They'll, they'll sacrifice themselves to do for others and be a servant for other right. people. Um, unfortunately, uh, that, will create burnout and will cause nurses to leave the bedside. And it's probably one of the reasons why we have a nursing shortage, a quote nursing shortage. And I say quote, because we have plenty of nurses. We just have a shortage of nurses who are willing to work at the bedside and deal with all of the things that we have to deal with for the amount of pay that we get and the, the way that, you know, we're treated Mm -hmm. and the lack, sometimes the lack of respect and that sort of thing. So we, we have plenty of nurses, but whenever nurses get out of nursing school and they start working and they, they just feel beat up on, they just go, wow, this is so hard. And they leave when, if maybe we would learn and maybe it would, should start in nursing school, we could learn, you know, how, Hydration, even in just very basic <laughs> things, drink water, right. you know, having hydration, having hydration stations at, at nurses stations, um, figuring out a solution to nurses not drinking enough water and not going to the bathroom and getting their lunches, um, make, having emphasis placed on these things on self-care, not, and it's, it's not, um, it's not a badge of honor to go 12 hours without going to the bathroom. You're literally creating a kidney stone. <laughs> so that's not a badge of honor. You should not be doing that. You're setting a terrible example to other people. And I say that, and yet I've joked about it on this podcast before. I mean, I've had people send me emails slapping my hands about it. Like, it's not funny. We shouldn't be joking about it. I joke about everything. I joke about stuff I should. I have the most inappropriate sense of humor in the world. Everybody knows that about me. I laugh when I should not be. It's not funny. And I that's how I cope with things. So there you go. <laughs> it's not funny. I know it isn't, but it's it's true. Sometimes the you know tr- true things are funny even though they're sad and so we should do something about it. But right. um 
that self-care, the idea of taking care of yourself, be sure you get your lunch, be sure you are hydrating um, throughout your shift, be sure you're going to the bathroom, um, those basic self-care things. If you don't do those things, if you think, well, yes, but I have to do this and I have to do this and I have to do this to take care of my patient because you want to be a good nurse, you're not going to last. You just can't, if, if anything else, you're not going to physically last because you're, we, we know our bodies need water to, you know, our organs right, right. need that. We need that to have end organ perfusion. We got to have our bodies that need water. So we're going to sacrifice our, ourselves physically and mentally and emotionally if we don't figure out ways um, to advocate, advocate for each other, um, remind each other like, mm-hmm. hey, have you had lunch? If you are, if you have maybe a little bit lighter load than someone, there, there are days, I don't know about you, but there's some days mm-hmm. when my patients, for whatever reason, I'm able to balance them out and have a little bit of extra time. So rather than sitting at your alcove or sitting at your where at the nurse's station or wherever, um, scrolling on your phone or doing, you know, your mental, taking a mental break, not that you don't deserve it, maybe take a round around the unit and just be like, can I help you with anything? I, I have a free minute. Is there anything I can do? Help you with a turn, hang on antibiotic for you. What can I do? And mean it. I mean, literally mm-hmm. be like, can't let, let me do something. It, I've seen you back and forth. You, have you had, a, have you gone to the bathroom? Do you need to, you know, what can I do for you? Right. If we could do that for each other, can you imagine how much happier we all, because just having just those interpersonal relationships and feeling like, wow, we have yes. each other's back. Does that not, I mean, that's kind of, I feel like that's kind of what you were saying, you know, taking care of yourself and taking care of each other. Totally. Cause I'm, I'm blessed to be on a unit where literally I've said, I've, we, we do look out for one another. Like I'm blessed to be on like an amazing, incredible team. And I, I could say them by name, but I'm just saying like, mm-hmm. even like there have been people who have just honestly admitted, be like, you know what? I could have had so many opportunities to leave but the only reason I'm still here is because you people, like the people, y'all are the best team. And it's just like to leave that would be kind of a challenge, like even though they've had op- other op- opportunities. And, you know, in one breath, you'd be like, oh, well, why do you want to leave? But then on another, you're just like, that's actually, you know, actually a good compliment to us as a team. Like, yo, we're a good team to where we don't want to lose that. And we want to cultivate that atmosphere of support amongst ourselves and just individually as well to, hey, this is good. So do you plan on staying at the bedside or are you thinking of going back to school or going into any other type of nursing? What are your, any plans or thoughts or you're just kind of like, uh, I don't want to think about it right now? <laughs> well, no, I do. That is totally, that's always been a part of the plan. I always had a plan. Um, the unfortunate reality is that my plans didn't always go as planned. <laughs> um, but yes, it's totally a plan where I do intend on continuing up the ladder, get the, the next degree. I I intend to stay at the bedside as long as my heart and mind and body can endure. Um, that's just my goal, unless the need and or opportunity arises to, you know, be either in management or a clinical lead or you know, if the need is there um, and I'm available and able, I don't see why not. But then at this current moment, I do appreciate being a bedside nurse. I really love that being hands-on, being able to communicate. And as long as I'm able, 
I want to do that. But ultimately, at some point, potentially, yes, going back to school, getting my nurse practitioner, you know, would be an ID, ideal idea. But right now, I'm just, hey, I love what I'm doing. I'm content. I'm thankful. Let's keep serving people right here at the bedside. That's awesome. We need more nurses who are willing to do that. And I tell people all the time that are listening to this podcast, when I first started um, as a new grad, it was so hard that I literally, I regretted doing, I regretted going to nursing school. I could, because I did not know, no one told me how hard it was going to be. I did not understand it. And I started working. I was so incredibly stressed. The weight of the responsibility of human life that I did not understand. I had no idea. I can remember thinking, where are all the doctors? <laughs> where? How come nurses are the ones that are like responsible? Like, I didn't know this is the way. Did, I wanted to shout from the rooftops, do you guys like in the general public realize nurses are the ones actually taking care of people at the hospital? Because I was 40 years old when I went to nursing school and I had lived all that time and had three children and had no idea the things that nurses did and the responsibility that's on their shoulders. I did not understand it. And so when I started doing it, so emotionally taxing, it was so incredibly heavy, the burden of just having lives there uh, that I was responsible for. And I, I regretted it. And I would tell anybody that would listen that first year or so of graduating from nursing school, I would be like, don't do it. It's awful. It's terrible. You don't want to do it. I'm so miserable. I hate it. I I was, it was bad. And there were a couple of people that I know were considering going to nursing school that were like, oh, maybe I should be an accountant or something. Like they literally changed their mind. Well, then after I was off orientation a year or so, I can, I can remember, you know, I was working at, at the hospital, the level one trauma center that I work right now on a progressive care unit and the people that I worked with were like all of a sudden like had this sort of connection with and I just remember one day going to work and I was kind of excited to go to work and on my days off I was like oh my gosh I've been off a few days and I'm actually like looking forward to going to work and it hit me all of a sudden I'm like oh my gosh I like nursing I like this job. <laughs> I didn't know. Yes. Like I was figuring all this out myself. That's why I started this podcast because I, I felt so bad for the people that I talked out of going to nursing school. I was like, they probably could have been great nurses. And here I am just being so discouraging. And so I wanted to start a podcast right. to try to be encouraging and try to let people know, like, don't give up. It's really hard at first. Mm. Keep doing it. Give yourself a year, maybe two, however long it takes before you just decide to bail. Maybe it's not for you and that's okay too, but Mm -hmm. it actually is a very rewarding job. And it's, it's unbelievable when you have experiences where you do feel like you have left the hospital and you've accomplished something. You've seen people make, you know, these major accomplishments um, in their um, medical care and their, um, you've, I don't know, you've just seen transformations happen and you've also been able to be there at the end of life for someone, you know, mm-hmm. console family members and help someone be comfortable um, during that time and help to educate, you know, people and help to educate family. Um, oh, I, it's just the privilege to be able to do that. I'm so thankful that I stayed and I continue to do it. And that's, uh, I just want to continue to tell people. Um, Good. 
to be that kind of nurse and to just stick with it because it's it's worth it. It definitely is worth it. Yes. I'm really thankful for you. Have you ever, so have you ever done any sort of public singing before? You said you kind of did a little bit like you sing in church, weddings, talent shows. What, are, what kind of singing do you do? You just like blow people away when you get up for karaoke and everybody's like, what the heck? <laughs> I will not lie. That actually is a thing. Yes. <laughs> but um, is okay. So I started, of course, in this case, kind of singing as a kid, but like just, of course, at home type deal. I did start, you know, we would sing, okay, you go to church, you're going to sing, cool, cool beans. But it wasn't until I'd say probably 12 years old uh, where I actually started, you know, my music that I started listening to was a little bit more, you know, broader. I didn't listen to just one thing. I started branching out and listening to other different things. And then I, I progressively at that point, 12, 13 years old, I started singing in church. Um, and then after that, got in high school, you just keep moving, uh, moving forward, got, got in high school and I sang at a talent show and I ended up winning winning third place that year. So then comes my senior year that I did the talent show again, one second place. Um, but then I realized, oh, okay, well, you know, people started giving me the kudos and whatnot. I was like, uh, no, that's not why I'm, I'm doing that. That wasn't why I was getting up there to sing. Um, I had a little bit of, if you will call it formal, you know, just honing of my voice. I was in chorus and, um, I had the best, best chorus teacher and I wish I knew how to get a hold of her. I don't have a Facebook, but, um, Miss Vivian Jones, she was my chorus teacher and she just like, just totally, uh, she imparted so much in me as, as a teenager, like, Hey, your voice do this. You can do, I know you, she believed in me in so many different ways. Um, so then back to just singing in church and then, you know, I would sing maybe at a coffee shop or something like that, but it was nothing ever really big. And one quick superstitious, funny story is, um, American Idol came to Charleston when I was living down there and, uh, the talent show director submitted all of the names and phone numbers, like just, you know, submitting it. And she couldn't find my phone number. So it's kind of one of those funny, hilarious things where it's like, huh, out of all the phone numbers of all the people, you couldn't find mine, huh? Mm. No, but it was, it was an okay thing. It was just like, I was working that day anyway. And I'm just kind of thankful that, you know, Hey, who knows what could have happened had I, pursued singing i don't know but it's just something that i enjoy i love to do i'll sing i don't typically sing on the spot and actually as the story truly goes the only reason that i connected with this patient was i wasn't assigned to her um one of my coworkers snitched on me she was like she was the assigned nurse and she was like oh you love to sing well guess what i know a nurse here who can sing and he um he sings in the halls and I've heard him sing. So she's like, Ooh, well, tell him to come. And that's how I got roped into it. It wasn't like, Oh, David just stopped for, you know, a duet type thing. It was just <laughs> like, she said, the patient said you have to. And I was like, why are you telling people I can sing? No, don't do that. But then instantly going in there, you, you fall in love with this girl's personality, just her spirit, just, and you're just like, I can't tell you no. <laughs> so that was how that happened. We didn't know, you know, I didn't know mom was recording, but 
it just was one of those things where it was very impromptu. She pulled up a karaoke and we sang and we just, we meshed and it was just like, so. Wow. Any, any ideas or thoughts of, of trying out for the voice or, um, (laughs) American Idol or anything like that now? We'll see. We'll see what happens. Not, (laughs) not, it's not like the forefront, like, um, totally if the opportunity presented itself why not but i don't think i'll go looking for the opportunity or pursuing it because i genuinely love being a nurse wonderful awesome david thank you so much for coming on the show i appreciate it i appreciate you taking the time to do that it's been really nice talking to you really really nice talking to you i appreciate it very good well thank you for having me for sure like thank you for the opportunity to come on Singing with him just brought me so much joy. Like I'm thinking about it, I'm just smiling. But to have moments like that, it makes you feel like, yes, this is this is my why. This is why we do what we do. So David, just from I when I uh, kind of did the editing for that um, that conversation, I enjoyed listening to that back myself. There's a whole video that we did. You know, I always record the video because I, in case I need the audio, in case I do something really dumb and don't record my audio like I'm supposed to. And so by doing that, I I have the video as well. You and I are doing that now, and sometimes I use it for different things, but I actually edited that whole thing, the video with David because, and, and I just really enjoyed him just as a person. He's such a good person and such a good example of of the attitude that you should have as a, as a nurse. And he's a relatively new nurse, but the whole part of the reason that I do this podcast is that I want the excitement that goes along with being a new grad nurse, a new, a nursing student, you know, just that feeling that you have of, of um, enjoy, just loving to be a nurse and so excited about it. I want people to uh, continue to have that. And it actually helped me talking to him because I've it's been kind of rough lately. I don't know about you, but um, it's yep. not easy at the hospital right now. It's really, I've, I've struggled a little bit with almost like being negative and, and that, and I've, you know, kind of, it's been hard remembering, you know, why I'm doing what I'm doing. And so in his story, he talks about the why and trying to remember the why of what, why we're doing what we're doing. And so it, it helped me. It was very therapeutic just to have that conversation with him. Yeah. He's very, um, very eloquent and, you know, just very um, honest in a refreshing way. I know it's, um, I appreciated him so much and so thankful for him. And I guess that wraps up our our episode for this week. Remind everybody where they can find your book and your podcast and all that. Oh, stuff. yeah. So the book is actually not out yet. It'll be coming out from uh, Gen Z Press in August. Um, and um, the podcast is out now. You can find Nurse Papa on you know your favorite podcast platform for free. And take a listen. If you're a parent, you will love it because um, I, I truly try to get into the mind of what it means to be a kid and a parent. Um, and also, if you're a parent, um, there is a second segment on each show in which I answer the letter from a loyal listener about their own parenting conundrum. Um, and I'm always taking new questions. And if you write to me, I will include you on a future episode, which is always a lot of fun because my advice, I think it's pretty decent advice, but also I try to have fun with it. You know, when you're a parent, you got to you got to laugh because it is really messed up sometimes. <laughs> well, there are a lot of 
young uh, people that listen to this podcast that maybe aren't parents yet or maybe have very, very small children who can benefit from that. I know uh, there's no doubt about that. So, and you guys know you can find me at tina at goodnursebadness.com. You can email me your stories, your whatever, anything. Just drop a line, say hello. I love to hear from you guys. And you can find us at GMBM Podcast on Facebook and Twitter and Good Nurse, Bad Nurse on Instagram. I can't believe I said it right the first time. Just <laughs> my, my brain was working really hard to be sure and say it right because I usually get it backwards. Um, I guess that's it. So you can also go to goodnursebadnurse.com, of course, um, our website. But I also want to remind you guys that even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, be a good nurse. Hell yeah. <laughs>